Good morning again, everybody. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Brittany. Uh, God is so good just providing us with such gifted and talented worship leaders to, uh, to help us in that way. We are continuing on in the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to jump into chapters 3 and 4. And I'm going to start by telling you a little story. And I want you to think to yourself um, how you might categorize this story. All right, you ready? Here it goes. Gil and I were having drinks with Barack and Michelle, and Tom and Giselle texted and wanted the four of us to meet them in Florida for the weekend. So other than lying, um, what might you call that, right? Name dropping. Name dropping is, um, well, let me give you maybe a little bit more real life example. I met a kid in fifth grade named Jonathan Greenblatt, and we stayed friends throughout the remainder of our elementary school, middle school, high school years and graduated and went off, did our own thing. Um, but I love to tell people that I grew up with Jonathan Greenblatt because if you look at the back of a bottle of Ethos water, there are the signatures of the co-founders and Jonathan is one of them. Um, Ethos is the really expensive water you find at Starbucks. Um, Jonathan uh, went on from that business and he is now the head of the Anti-Defamation League. You see him on national news. You see his face pop up to the, in the intro to every TED Talk. He's, you know, was a featured um, TED Talk speaker. And I just, for whatever reason, I love to have people think that I'm somehow connected to him, right? And I think the idea of, of name dropping is we attach ourselves to somebody who's popular or famous or cool or whatever so that we might, so that we might look better, so that people might think more of us than is, is actually the case. And what, what we're about to see this morning in, um, in chapters 3 and 4 of Acts is Peter, the apostle, dropping Jesus' name over and over and over again. But it's the complete opposite reason. He's dropping the name of Jesus to draw other, other people's attention away from him and to Jesus. He's doing it to magnify, to glorify the name of Jesus and, and, not, and not his own. So we're gonna, um, I'm going to read you 10 verses. Uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 10 and then I'm going to kind of paraphrase for you the rest of 3 and chapter 4 and we're going to dig into a little bit and see why the name of Jesus is so powerful and why we should be looking to drop the name of Jesus whenever we can. So here we go. Uh, Acts chapter 3 starting in verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So a miraculous, a miraculous healing takes place guy is literally jumping for joy couldn't walk for 40 years and now he is literally um, jumping for joy and he's starting to um, attract a crowd all the the commotion 
that's going on, the ruckus that he is making. And this crowd gathers and they're like, they immediately look at Peter and John like, oh my gosh, you guys are amazing. And the first thing out of Peter's mouth is, it's not, it wasn't us. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus and faith in Jesus that healed this man and made him whole. And he has this opportunity because of all the commotion to once again share the, the story of Jesus and how it connects to the historic faith of the Jewish community and to invite those people into that faith. He reminds the people that they were the ones who killed Jesus and that God was the one who rose him from the dead. So the people witnessed this amazing, amazing healing and then they listen to Peter's explanation of what happened and another 2,000 people come to faith in Christ as a result. Peter preaches one sermon, 3,000 people. Second sermon, 2,000 people. This guy is amazing. Holy Spirit is working amazing, amazing things. So what we're seeing is a, a repeat. Remember I, I shared with you a couple weeks ago that throughout the book of Acts, we see this pattern. Holy Spirit does something amazing. One of the apostles explains what just happened in light of all of the scripture that they had at that point in the Old Testament and what they knew and the life of Jesus and how it all fits together. Um, and then there's an invitation, an invitation to repentance and to baptism. From this point forward, we're going to see one additional part of the pattern, and that is this. The religious leaders of the day, the religious establishment, get upset at what is being done, at what is happening, because they're losing control and people's attention is being taken from them and being drawn to the name of Jesus. And so this is going to be a regular occurrence now. And it, what it does is it adds another opportunity for Peter and Paul and Philip and, and Silas and Stephen. It provides them another opportunity to point to the name of Jesus as they go on. So this is where we're going to focus our time is uh, the name of Jesus and how much power it has and what, it, what exactly it's capable of. We start with chapter 3, verse 2. And um, we look at this, that the name of Jesus empowers people through the Holy Spirit it empowers people. So let's think about, let's think about the, um, the account that we just, we just read. There is the man who was, um, who couldn't move, couldn't walk on his own. And then there were, um, Peter and John. And then I couldn't come up with a better term. There were the putters, the, the man who was, he was put at this gate every day so he could so he could beg for money there were people responsible for for getting him there it's kind of a recap of, of who the people were peter and john super interesting right so peter and john were good god-fearing devout jewish men which meant that they would go to the temple to pray daily this guy was at the gate to the temple daily to beg for money they had to they had to have seen him before. They had to have encountered him before. Even I'm sure he asked them for money before and they didn't heal him. Even more than that, Jesus probably encountered this guy. And Jesus, for whatever reason, didn't heal him. I mean, we look at we look at um, Jesus's words about himself and what motivates him and how he acts. And the scripture tells us that Jesus doesn't do anything except that which he sees the Father doing. So when it comes to the name of Jesus empowering people, there are two factors, right? There's, there's the God's timing, which is God's, and often we don't, we don't understand it. 
And the second thing is our, our gifting. In this account, we see kind of what we call two opposite extremes of gifting, right? There's the, the people who placed the man at the gate. Their, their faith, their endurance, their perseverance. Um, while previous to Jesus coming on the scene, they were doing that. Um, they were still doing it for God. Because at that time, um, give, the giving of alms was considered a way to earn favor with God. So they were, they were helping the man who was, who was injured and, or hurt or disabled. And they were helping others to um, use, use their gifts. Behind the scenes, just doing manual labor, for lack of a better term. And then on the other end of that spectrum, there's Peter and John who perform, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they perform this miraculous healing. And what this tells us for today, folks, is this, is that um, the name of Jesus empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Every single gift that is present is necessary. The, the gifting of the Holy Spirit manifests itself in different ways in each of us. Some of us have gifts that put us in this side of the camera. Some of us have gifts that put us behind the camera or further behind the scenes or administrate or organize or hang out with kids and minister to kids or, or reach out to people in, in um, impoverished conditions. All of our giftings are necessary to make the kingdom of God grow. So I will leave you with this question. Are you keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus so that when he tells you to move, you're ready to move? And when he tells you to move, do you know what part you're supposed to play? Do you know what your, what your gifts are? Folks, I got to tell you something. I really think the next 18 months at Crossroads are going to be a lot of fun. I think they're going to be um, maybe a little bit scary. I think they're going to be a lot exciting. And I think they're going to be tremendously faith building. But we need to be ready to act by having our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we need to know what part each of us is supposed to play in that. Next part of the power of the name of Jesus is the name of Jesus as proclaimed by the Old Testament prophets displays God's faithfulness. Right. So we need to um, we need to kind of zoom out a little bit. We were, were zeroed in on Acts chapter three and four. We need to zoom out a little bit and look at the Bible as as a whole and throughout the bible as a whole god uses uh, or the old testament specifically i should say god uses two things to relate communicate interact with his people he uses prophets uh, people upon whom the holy spirit rests and he uses covenants uh think of them like uh, holy contracts it says this is what person a is going to do this is what person b is going to do and through those two things the entire bible is about god but specifically it is about, it points to, it illustrates it, Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament builds to. So Peter, in his sermon, in his explanation to the not just the crowds, but the religious leaders, he points to their historic faith. He draws upon their shared experiences. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, is God telling Abraham that all of humanity is going to be blessed through his offspring. Offspring, singular offspring, Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Deuteronomy 18.15. These are all Old Testament books and the references are there so you can check them out on your own, but I'm just trying to give a wide angle view that allows us to zoom into this. Deuteronomy 18.15 is um, 
Moses telling the people of Israel that God is going to provide another prophet like him, but better and bigger that they need to listen to. Jesus is that prophet. And then finally, in 2 Samuel, the prophet Samuel is telling King David that he is going to have an heir that will sit on the throne forever. There will be an eternal king. That eternal king is Jesus. The name of Jesus provides encouragement to carry on while waiting on God. The, the Israelite people waited hundreds of years for these promises to be fulfilled. They struggled, they stumbled, they waited, they prayed. But ultimately, all of those promises of the Old Testament were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The God who made those promises is the same God who fulfills them in the person of Jesus. And folks, this should just be so, so encouraging to us. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, there are things that I am waiting on God for, like some big things and some, some small things. Are you? I know you are. I mean, it's, yes, the question is rhetorical. Um, there are things that I've been waiting on God for a very long time, years and years and years. And again, rhetorically, are, I know you are. There are things that, um, for whatever reason, God's timing is different than ours. But what we see in the, in the record of Scripture is that God's track record is perfect. He is always good to His Word. He keeps His Word. The, the name of Jesus tells us that we can faith, patiently, faithfully wait on God with confidence that He's going to come through. Because of who Jesus is and the things that he said and did and the things that he still says and does, we can praise God as if all of those promises have already been fulfilled. Because in reality, they have in the person of Jesus. <clears throat> in Acts 3, 19 through 21, I'm actually going to reread these verses, or not reread, read them for you. The name of Jesus saves. Acts 3. Um, 19 through 21. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Quick quote from the Expositor's Bible Commentary to kind of um, help understand how the name of Jesus does this. In Semitic thought, a name does not just identify or distinguish a person. It expresses the very nature of his being. Hence, the power of the person is present and available in the name of the person. The name of Jesus is what saves. And in this passage, we see it saves in three different ways. First, that our sins may be wiped out. We are um, eternally separated from God by this thing called sin. And Jesus stepped into that separation and he swallowed up sin. And the term wiped out means completely erased, blotted out, destroyed. Our sins are taken away so that our relationship with God can be restored. It's not wholly restored yet in that we are not physically with him. So that's where that time, the times of refreshing come in. And those could be things like a miraculous healing, like the man in the passage experienced. Um, or it could be... God speaking to you uh, in the pages of scripture or through the prayers of a friend. It could be a great meal. It could be a life-giving relationship. But those times of refreshing are little glimpses into what life is going to be like when um, 
we are physically reunited with God. And at that time, when Jesus returns and we're physically reunited with God, Scripture tells us that he will restore everything. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more addiction, no more abuse, no more sadness. Jesus restores everything. He makes everything new. He saves in those three different ways. The name of Jesus does what no other name can do. And our response, the invitation that Peter and the other apostles repeatedly give is repent and be baptized. Right? Repentance is when we admit our guilt. We admit our part, what we did to put Jesus on the cross. We admit that there is a, a gap between us and God. There is a, a, a chink in our relationship that we cannot fix on our own. And we, at the same time, we acknowledge that Jesus can remedy that relationship. And so we repent, and then there's an invitation to be baptized. And baptism is a symbolic identification with the person and the life and the work of Jesus. In baptism, we're submerged into water, and we symbolically die to sin and die to that old way of self and that, that symbolic kind of drowning um, death. And as we're raised up out of the water, we are resurrected to a new life, free from sin, free to live a new life that Jesus created us for. And baptism is just, it's such a, um, it's a great symbolic mark of the transformation that only comes through the name of Jesus. And we want to get in the habit of doing this, of celebrating this life transformation more frequently here at Crossroads. And um, in the past, it's been at a lake, and we're just going to look for more or less pretty much every opportunity that we can. If somebody comes to this point where they, they experience that repentance and they want to be baptized, we're going to look for a way to make it happen. And now that we have a space, um, we, can, we can do that when and how we want to do that. So um, I'm issuing you that invitation to, to come now and repent and be baptized. And if that's something you want to do, please please talk to me or one of the elders or one of the other church leaders and we'll we'll make that happen really quick. Um, the the last thing I want to point out about the the power of the name of Jesus is this is that it attracts a crowd. It attracts both the religious and the irreligious. If we look at Acts chapter 4 verse 7, um, the religious leaders are, they're upset, right? Specifically the Sadducees. They're upset with Peter and John because they are proclaiming the name of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Sadducees don't believe in the concept of resurrection. So their way of life is being threatened. So they come to Peter and John, they say, by what power or what name did you, did you do this? And they just step right up and they say, in the name of Jesus, we perform this act of kindness for this man. And we look at the Sadducees and historically uh, a group of super well-educated, elite religious leaders. And they were attracted to Jesus, to the name of Jesus by its power and what it's capable of. But they were kept from experiencing it by their pride and their Sheldon Cooper-like arrogance. Right? They had studied so much, they had become unteachable and they were unwilling to let go of the way of life that they had become accustomed to. That was being threatened by Jesus, by his name, by what the apostles were doing in his name. So they couldn't experience, they couldn't take that final, that final step. Pride and arrogance got in the way of 
um, of them experiencing Jesus. The irreligious have a similar experience. Um, and I, I, this is the last verse of the section that we're, we're studying this morning. Chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So <clears throat> this, this, is, uh, this verse is not unique in Scripture. There are other verses throughout Scripture that point to Jesus being being the way to God. And um, people hear phrases like that, verses like that, taken out of context, taken out of that zoomed out view of the Bible, and they, um, they kind of look at it through the lens of, uh, of progressive secularism, of a worldview that says mankind will always be able to make things better on their own. And a statement like that is, is archaic and it's narrow and um, and exclusive. When in reality, if you take those statements in context, if you look at those statement statements through the person of Jesus, the way he lived, who he spent his time with, what he was and still is about, those statements aren't exclusive. They're an invitation. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, he's waving people to him. He's like, look, I know that way looks easier. I know there's all sorts of shiny things over there. But that's not the right way. Come this way. Come with me and I will show you the way. Follow, follow me. We get this idea in our heads that, um, let me flip, flip it around, look at it this way. These statements are a doorman at a fancy hotel welcoming you in. They are not a bouncer at a club who eyes you up and down and says, not you, next. These are invitations. They are not statements of exclusivity. The name of Jesus creates a ruckus in and will attract attention. So my question to all of us is, are we going to, um, are we going to help people move into a relationship with Jesus? Are we going to lead them to repentance and baptism? Or are we going to lead them to um, like the Sadducees did, are we going to lead people to to cynicism and, and um, just rejection of of the power of the name of Jesus because it's not always the way it's been done before, or it's not there. There's these people aren't like they're different than us. They're scary. The name of Jesus has the power to attract the crowd. The name of Jesus has the power to encourage us and to drive us to persevere as we wait on God and His timing. The name of Jesus is the only name that saves. The name of Jesus is the name that empowers ordinary people to do extraordinary things. You guys, I wanna, I wanna close our time um, just by reading some scripture as a prayer and some scripture that points to the, the name of Jesus. And if you ever find yourself in a position where you don't know what or how to pray, pick up your Bible and just pray some of the words of the Bible um, like I'm about to do now. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, 
value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.